There it is, baby. Got it. <laughs> so we go. Yo. What's up, everybody? We are here. Where it went podcast, where we only exclusively talk about the Revelation Records catalog from beginning to end. And we're here with Mickey of the record label Uranium Rush Records, brand new label, and Hunter, uh, Hunter Bennett of the band The Jarens and a bunch of other stuff we'll, we'll touch on. Um, but this is going to be focused mainly on The Jarens, which features uh, Peter Kortner from Dag Nasty, who, you know, I mention a lot on here. Um, but we just wanted to kind of get the word out. Uh, Uranium Rush is a new label local to my area. You know, we're in the Philadelphia area. And uh, I kind of wanted to pick uh, Mickey's brain, you know, starting a record label. That's a daunting, daunting task. It's a one, I know it's a one man operation. So Mickey, I guess, first off, Uranium Rush, what made you choose that name for the record label? So Greg, thanks so much for, for having us on. You know, seriously, we're big, big fans of your podcast and uh, you're your co-hosts and, and, and the you know, quality of guests you guys have geeking out on the same music I listened to and I grew up with. It's just really meaningful. So, so it's an honor to be here. So thank you oh, so much. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, where the kind of the, the germination of the record label started, I'm going to have to, uh, you, I, I'm an old man now, I'm 52, but I'm going to go backwards in the time machine to like 86, 87. Well, I, I wanted to, I, I watched again, you put a, like a little clip on your Facebook that I watched, uh, you know, I guess now it was a couple months ago. And you mentioned that you actually did a zine and a tape and a record. And I'm assuming that ties into all this. So yeah, take we, the way we, back machine. We, we had society, a, baby. Society was a fancy. We had a, a multimedia empire. The thing was, um, it, it was more for me, you know, to, and, and you no, know, me and my best friend, Tony Matei, who I apologize, Tony, for listening. What's up, dog? Um, we put out these, these kind of multimedia kind of things because it was fun and it put us smack in the middle of the community. Like, we love punk music and we couldn't play a lick of instruments and things like that, but we knew we could participate and be a part of that energy, be a part of that catalyst that was kind of going on. Then we went off to college and got kind of old and things like that. But at the time, it was like super fun and it always kind of stuck with me. Subsequently, though, um, you know, I, I grew enamored with Discord and, and, and the, the DIY-ness. And, and there's a band out there, or there's a label that kind of adjacent to Discord called Simple Machines, um, where um, two two great women um, created this this thing that taught you how it was a guide to putting out your own record yourself. They're like, we, we can do this, you can. So it always stuck with me, like, I might be able to do this. But to be honest with you, I never had, you know, felt the, 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 the spark to do it, like something that I believed enough to put my energies into. Like, I want to get behind this kind of thing. And that brings us to, real quick, I know I'm a, uh, pontificate or proselytizing here um what kind of started was like with everyone else covid um and i i ended up getting to be close friends with uh two 
our, our hikes through Fairmount Park with a dude named um, Max Stern. And Max was a, is the singer of a band, uh, uh, a pretty great emo band called um, Signals Midwest. Um, and Max, I would go his long talks and things like that. And the end of one of these uh, weird, like, hours-long hikes, he opens up his trunk and he gives me his record, Impossible Sum, which was amazing. Um, but I didn't have a turntable anymore. And I played it. I got one just to play this record. And just the, 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 the vibe that the vinyl gave off, it just had, it felt very organic. It felt very real. So I'm like, I think I might be back into this. So then that very same weekend, I got um, this compilation. Um, it, it's an anthology from a band called Cat and Jazz. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Oh, yeah, I have that. That's a great record. It's a pretty amazing record. And it is a retrospective and a culmination of the band and what they did. And, and you know, what I loved about it was that it, the tactile nature of it. It, it was a, it's, a, it's got the booklet photos, writing, you know, sentiments. It's kind of like the same way that the crew, the crew issue that just came out, the Sunsides crew review. It is a full multi-sensory experience kind of thing. And right, that you're not going to get with just Spotify. Yeah. yeah, Spotify, you listen to tracks, you know, you don't, you know, you don't look at the what, like there's a fuller artistic intent that comes along with an actual vinyl record in which the, the audio and the, 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 the visual aspect comes into it. You're reading, you're looking. Dude, I used to read the thank you things to see what cool, oh, I know who that person is. And I was fascinated, like, wherever it's recorded, when, all those little pieces. And I'm like, I need to do this. I need to put something like out, the, uh, out there with this experience. And that's where um, Uranium Rush Records came about. Like, I, you know, I, if, I was even thinking not even putting this stuff online until some uh, smarter people like smack me in the head. Like, you kind of need to do that kind of thing and make these tracks accessible. But, I mean, I, I believe that much in, in the vinyl experience. But I also believe as much in the right band, and that was the Jarrods and his original family. Mickey, you left out a critical part of your history. Mickey promoted the uh, first ever Fugazi show in Philadelphia in the summer of 1988 at the uh, Northeast Philly YMCA. And it's the one where Guy Pachotto stuffed himself through the basketball hoop that is featured. I was just going to say, it's like, that's like one of the most iconic Fugazi moments. Like, I mean, that image has been on t shirts. Uh, I know you have it tattooed, Mickey. Yeah, but that, but that's hey, you do have a tattoo. I Let do have it. a tattoo. I got the. I noticed <laughs> it the other day. I I'll, like, I'll send you a picture of it. I'm gonna hurt yeah. myself holding my leg up there <laughs> on the back what? of my head. Um, but but that's the point, and it is like I did not do. I did not write a lick of music there. I kind of barely put together the bill. I told Ian who I was gonna bring on the bill, and he was like. Mm. Too many bands, and they all sound like like straight edge hardcore bands. You no, know, and we kind of curated that thing together with just two bands. Who else played? Um, Can I ask that? Yeah, a wonderful Philadelphia band called Scram. Oh, they're, they're just my, my they're gorgeous, and I love them. Um, kind of a, this cool like funk reggae thing going on. Um, and then the record out on BYO in '86. Yeah, um, something, I forget what the name of it was, but dude, they were just wonderful and such nice people. And then and the, the, the first band was um, the, the, the band that 
our, our music collective was pushing to the forefront, and that was the Corrupted Ones, TCO from New Jersey. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so um, shout out to Doug, who's uh, who's out there, and hopefully he's listening to that. Thank you. Um, but yeah, they played those three bands. But um, yeah, that's, that was my point of fame. And ironically, Hunter was at that show, and I only found out about this like 15 years later when we actually became friends. So yeah, no, that it is interesting in terms of like the, the being a catalyst for something like that. Like I didn't write any of the music; I barely put together like the show. But you know, the community aspect. Ian knew, I guess, playing this little gig from this kid who he barely knows is part of like this. He wanted to kind of support that and drive that, and so he enabled me to be a catalyst for something like that. And I look back, and I hold Guy, you know, hanging from the. Um, the, the basketball hoop at the time, I was thinking, God, I wish you wouldn't be doing that because you're going to bend it and I'm going to have to pay for it. But in retrospect, you know, um, it became this kind of, I kind of like, like people still like, oh my, like I, all of a sudden I got blown up on like Instagram followers today. Like not blown up, I mean, pen, you know, but for me, I don't know any Instagram. <laughs> but, but it's because some guy posted, you know, this, um, um, you know, that, that photo. And I didn't even take that photo. That was Sean Bastille. Um, so just shout out to Sean too for, for people. Yeah. And it's like that footage is an instrument, right? Like, isn't it? In yeah. The yeah. I think that's what made it famous. Yeah. It was yeah. potential. I don't know. I don't know which came first. Uh, I would think that that would probably be around the time where more people, like where it was viewed on a wide scale for sure. I mean, people that were there, I'm sure. Oh, remember the show where Fugazi played and Guy, you know, hung from the basketball net? But that was, yeah, the the real. Yeah. But you were there to see it, Hunter. Like, did you think at the time? Were you thinking, like, what were you thinking? I was really worried he was going to fall. And, I mean, as I remember that show, somebody disagreed with me online. But as I remember that show, there were maybe – a hundred people there tops when they started. No question. And, and by the time they finished, I remember there being about 40 people oh, because it left. Yeah. I mean, it became apparent they weren't going to be playing any minor threat songs. Yeah. And um, I also remember they opened with Burning Two. And I remember thinking Burning Two was the coolest song I had ever heard. And when it wasn't on the um, original Fugazi. EP I was perplexed yeah. so I was so happy when Margin Walker came out yeah but, because I was gonna say that show was before they actually had anything besides the demo right yeah right. no I the demo I'm like it may not have been done by that I mean the demo the demo was out but I didn't have it, it. was yeah well I didn't I, I got to I went to GW like a month later and the demo was everywhere but like you know oh, it popped quick like the demo it must have been just regional nights I don't remember anyone yeah, I mean, the demo had been recorded. There was also a live recording of a gig at DC Space. And That's the one I had. That's the one that Ian gave me. Like, hey, here's what we sound like. So I think he was probably using that almost as a demo. That's that's cool. And like, yeah, you were what, like 18, 19 booking that? Yeah, day? dude. And, and, and that's the part about being doing Rain and Rush. Because it's, it's, everyone wants to help, man. Everyone has been like so helpful. You said earlier in the introduction, and which is me, so not true. I mean, I'm just like, the, I like, I'm like a more like a project manager. And yeah, I throw a lot of money at this because I really want to create a great product, you know. But, um, you know, the, the artistic, it's almost like a collective like, that I've kind of been reaching out and even having 
you know, creative meetings and things like that. And um, people want to help, man. I mean, like, like design. Uh, just, well, we'll talk. We can talk about other things. But, I was gonna say I um, have some questions too about the design. So yeah, I, I did want to get. I did want to get to the answer. Why the name? Oh, I, I'm like, all that. Somehow we got to gee hanging yeah, out like the basketball. 25, 25 minutes ago, I apologize. A dear friend of mine, um, Ben Goldberg, who actually, the Jerons actually became a, like a full band. Like, yeah, I want to talk about that too. And yeah, Ben. Yeah, and, and he, was a, he was the basis of the band. And a dear friend of mine, who passed away from uh, um, cancer. And he, um, he actually, he had this old game and it was a board game from the 1950s called Uranium Rush, an exciting new electric game for the family. And I just love the graphics and I love the, um, the artwork and just like, it's so ridiculous. It's coming from a time where everyone thought atomics, uh, uh, stuff around atoms and things like that was like cool as opposed to really dangerous. And before we knew better, but um, um, he passed away and I, kind of just took this um, as just because I loved it. And it just seemed like the natural thing because I, I you know, I'm going to, I could get, I hope I don't get sued, but, um, you know, <laughs> took the artwork and name from it and might be on some stuff. It's a nice tribute. It's a nice tribute. It, it's a uh, glorious man. And this was a tribute for yeah. sure. So, uh, so I, then I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the Jarens because I, you know, remembered being, you know, I've mentioned a bunch of times the Dag Nasty message board on, on the pod, you know, just because a lot of topics arise. And I remembered finding it completely insane being like a Dag Nasty fan hearing like, oh, Peter, the singer, he now lives in the Philly suburbs. And like, I actually remember our mutual friend, uh, Joe Acavella, uh, saying to me like, yeah, like, uh, Peter Cortner lives in, you know, Glenside or wherever it was, he, you know, he was like, uh, I'm thinking of like seeing if he wants to meet up for a drink and, and, and hang out. And, uh, you know, that just seemed so crazy to me, but I, then I remembered hearing he's doing this music, but it's just him and one other person. And that was you Hunter. So how did, so what, what was the, the Genesis behind this Pro, I'm going to call it like a project because as a duo, you guys never played a show, correct? That's right. Do you want to hear the long version or the uh, the abridged version? You can do the you can do the abridged. Yeah, do the medium. Meet me in the middle. So I I grew up in uh, the sort of in Philadelphia, and then we moved to the Philadelphia suburbs at some point. We moved to Winmore, Pennsylvania, which is right over Stenton Avenue from Chesson Hill. And uh, my friend Andy Carrigan, who also lived in Winmore, Pennsylvania, lived on a street called Eastern Avenue that was just one block. Uh, and in the summer of 1987, when Wig Out at Denko's came out, we used to sit around on his porch and drink beer and smoke cigarettes and uh, lament that all the great music was being made in Washington, D.C. And Winmore was the most boring place on earth. So... Um, then in like 2002, uh, I somebody posted on the Dag Nasty message board, um, can somebody recommend five bands that sound like Dag Nasty? And I was just like, this is the, uh, I typed something. I, I 
tended to be kind of a jerk on the internet back then. I typed something that was like, instead of like searching for five bands that sound like Dag Nasty, why don't you listen to Dag Nasty or explore other types of music that you might like? And then I just looked at my CD collection and typed the names of various recommendations. And the only two that I remember, because I was going in alphabetical order, were The Mentors and Joni Mitchell. And, uh, <laughs> That's in your record collection. <laughs> yeah. And Peter, uh, I guess, took a liking to my suggestions and responded enthusiastically. And we got to chatting about music. Scott Walker was also on there. And so we got to chatting and we got to talking about um, where we were living. And uh, I said, where do you live? And he said, I live in a small um, a small town in Montgomery County that you've probably never heard of. And I said, what town would that be? And he said, Winmore. And I said, oh, what street do you live on? And he said, Eastern Avenue. And you're like, and oh, shit. it turned out he actually was my uh, sister who by then was living on Eastern Avenue. He was like her next door neighbor. So it was one of those sort of small world things. And then, so, you know, we, we talked about music a lot and sort of went out. And from time to time to this place called Cisco's, which is in uh, Flower Town, and would get cheesesteaks and um, and hang out. And that's Mickey. You, uh, that's where we met Mickey. Mickey accompanied us on some of these. Cisco's. So you were still living. You were living back in the Philly area then. At this I point? was living down by the art museum. Okay, directly across the street from the art museum, basically. Um, and so anyway, uh, I'll try and wrap this story up very quickly. Uh, Peter and I discovered we liked a lot of the same stuff. Um, I had pretty much retired from music in the 90s and then sort of through a, a weird fluke, I ended up doing a one-off gig playing bass for um, David Thomas from Perubu and Rocket from the Tombs. And that went well and was a lot of fun. And David Thomas was very complimentary of my bass playing skills, which I never really thought very much of myself. And that kind of inspired me. I was like, you know, maybe I'm not terrible and maybe I should make music. And so I tossed the idea out to Peter. I was like, hey, I've got a home recorder. I can record some stuff on it. Uh, would you want to then sing? And he said, sure. And so I sent him, the first thing we recorded was either Prick Up Your Ears or The Long Goodbye. And I sent it to him. And, you know, I, I think I basically sent him fragments um, and with like electronic, like just the crappy recorders, drum settings. And he took all this time and put it together and, and built it into the sort of, he added all sorts of like cool instrumentation and arranged it and then sang over top of it. And I remember when he sent it back to me, I was like, all right, I'm way out of my league. This dude's a genius and is, is like into really interesting stuff. What, what were like the music? Cause like, I, you know, it's, it, I listened to the record, uh, the, you know, the test press. Um, and I'm trying to pinpoint, I'm like, what, like what were the sounds you were going for? Cause like, I wouldn't even, cause honestly, I wouldn't even know how to describe it because like, yeah, it's like, okay, it's the guy that sang on We Got It Denko's and Field Day, but like, that's not really going to give anybody any idea as to what this sounds like. Cause it does and, not sound I, like that at all. And I just make one point before you answer that question. Um, sure. Uh, Hunter, this is my current dilemma. 
Like I need to market this freaking thing and make people aware that I the, the, the hardest part is like how do you do the four fans of beyond you know that nasty and some of the things that are pretty obvious because this music goes in a lot of pretty amazing directions. So I've been like asking a lot of folks, you know, who know a lot about music, we please listen to this music for me and tell me what this kind of reminds you of kind of thing. So if there are any record um, store folks who own record stores, you'd be willing to do me a solid and listen through this and give me a sense of their opinion. I would really appreciate that. But now back to Hunter. I listened to nothing but hardcore and I was obsessed with hardcore from I'd say 1983 to probably 1992. And then I spent most of the nineties listening to stuff that had nothing to do with punk rock um, with a few exceptions. And then, you know, by the time I started doing this with Peter in 2002, I was just sort of getting into electronic music and um, I was really into the, the Stone Roses, which, um, you know, in the early 90s, I was playing in this band Weatherhead with John Stab, who was listening to like nothing but the Stone Roses. And I couldn't stand it. And then, you know, then 10 years later, I discovered that he was totally right. So I was listening to that. I was listening to the Happy Mondays. I was really into the DFA record stuff like LCD Sound System and um, uh, the Juan McLean Um uh, you know, I love the band Love, um, who are not electronic at all. You know, they're from uh, Los Angeles in the 1960s. Uh, I liked pretty much everything. And the great thing was, I would say, hey, check this out to Peter. Um, oh, Franz Ferdinand. I was like obsessed with Franz Ferdinand. And they played at the North Star Bar. So uh, Mickey and Peter and I think Jeremy Dean went with me as well. Um, you know, I was into everything. And the great thing was, if I sent something to Peter, he'd be into it too. And he'd be like, oh, you should listen to this. So we were really sort of feeding off what each other was into. And, you know, I could say, hey, this, like, I'm totally ripping off Franz Ferdinand here. And he'd like totally go with it. Yeah, because I heard like, I could hear little bits of like the early New Order, you know, like the the sparse, uh, raw kind of, you know, electronic stuff. But then I heard like, almost like for me, like I heard some like, like Ween, when like Ween would try to do like, you know, real, like regular songs, but like they weren't playing as like a full band yet. But it's just, I, I yeah, same thing. I thought, this is cool, but I have no idea how to describe it to anybody other than just saying, well, the guys were in these bands, you know, Peter was in Dag Nasty and you played with, uh, you know, you've got Doc Dash and you've got uh, Julie Ocean and, you know, all, all the stuff with Stab and all, but that's not really going to tell you what it sounds like. Yeah. And sometimes I would record it and have one thing in mind and I'd send it to him and it would come back totally different. You know, listening to the test pressings, um, it reminded me a lot of my favorite things that we did are the things that where it's like goodbye dub. If it's got dub in the title, what that meant was that Peter just kind of freaked out with the like um, with the reverb and and tape loops and strange <laughs> instrumentation. And when he is at his most creative uh, and just totally 
having fun with it. That's the stuff that I, I really am drawn to. Uh, I love it all because it's sort of a fascinating glimpse into the mind of somebody that I think is truly a, a very smart person and a very talented musician. I don't think um, he gets enough credit. I've said that, um, you know, I might've been on the podcast or may have just been talking to somebody off the record, but like, I definitely don't think Peter gets enough credit for just how like cool his style is. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I said, like we got a Denko's is my favorite Dag Nasty record. And I think it would not have been the same if it wasn't him singing. Yeah. Well, and his lyrics when he, um, and in the Jarens, it was a constant struggle to get him to actually write lyrics. Um, and I don't know that it's gotten any easier for him to write lyrics now in field day or, um, you know, I, I'm not sure, but he's a great writer. And I've told him many times that he should get the, the lyrics to field day etched on his tombstone because he manages to perfectly capture his personality. And I mean, the lyrics are, are not only a really accurate summation of his personality, but they're also really funny. The the song field day, not that album, right? Yeah. The song field day. Yeah. That, that was one of the things that immediately when I heard that album, the, those lyrics, um, I thought these are really funny. They're like, they have like a little bit of humor, but you know, hang out on the beach, but I should be writing songs, you know, to give me, you know, money and put us on the charts. Cause he's very self-deprecating, but I'm just so bored and I don't really care about people. Their money or yeah. Like that's, a, that's a great line. Um, yeah. and, and knowing him, you know, not as well as you guys do, but I'm like, Oh yeah, that like, that's genius. But so this is 2002. So this, just for those, this collection uh, by the Jarens is called Hitsville PA. Um, so this, was it originally just a CDR that you guys passed around or? I think so. It, it had a ton of different iterations and there's, in the Jarens vaults, there's so much stuff. Peter did all by himself, just a fascinating um reworking and tremendous reworking of your mind that's all electronic um there, i want to hear that we lost a lot of stuff his hard drive crashed and couldn't be salvaged so we lost a lot of stuff but this i i think we made all this music from like 2002 or 2003 to probably 2008 um, it largely stopped when I moved to DC in the fall of, or in the spring of 2006. And we were going to keep doing it and tried to, but it, it was kind of hard. And Peter also, um, Peter hooked me up with Terry Banks, who I then played with in Julie Ocean and now play with in Dot Dash. Um, so that worked out very well for me, but unfortunately the Jarens kind of fell by the wayside until like 2009, I think when, um, Peter and Joe and, uh, Sal Canestra and Ben Goldberg and Mickey and, um, the original drummer was Paul, whose last name escapes me, um, but actually made the Jarens a, a, band that uh, 
um, perform these songs live. That's what I want. That's what I wanted to ask about was like, did you guys play? So P, I guess did you must've given Peter blessing? Like, Hey, if you want to, you know, do these songs live, I can't rehearse or do it, but you know, if he gets other people to do it, it's, Hey, I, I think that's cool. Whatever. Yeah. He, I think either he asked me or Sal asked me. And um, I remember thinking it was like a dream come true because I love Steely Dan and Steely, like uh, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan's dream was that they wouldn't have to play on their own records because they could get these studio musicians who were so much better. So I was like, wait a minute, you're asking my permission if there can be this band that goes around and plays songs that I co-wrote with my friend? Like, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that was a no-brainer for me. What songs did you guys end up playing, Mickey? Like, I feel like Prick Up Your Ears, definitely, right? Like, that was one... A lot of the songs that are actually on that record. What did you do in the band? You played keyboards. Well, I played keyboards. Um, I I kind of was, you know, backup vocals and things like that. Uh, and then um, <laughs> Brian Baker from you know Dagnas, he, he did a guest spot with us one time. We played down in DC and performed with us. It was pretty exciting. We did a couple Dagnas covers. It's on YouTube. And, Oh, it's on YouTube. Yep. Okay. I was just letting people know if they want to check it out. It's I just watched it again recently. If you just type in the Jaren's Brian Baker, you'll see that footage. Yeah, and uh, it, um, it, it was a trip. But um, he afterwards he comes up to me and goes, "You know who you are? You're, you're the flavor flavor." <laughs> and at first I'm like, "Yeah," because I don't really plan it. But then I'm like, "Yeah." And and what would Chuck D be without flavor flavor? So I took it as a compliment. He yeah, you should. Yeah. yeah, and um, Dude, that's a huge compliment. Yeah, yeah. I got like a hype man. He, he was super nice to me that night. Um, so, so what I found crazy when I found out about this project was like it's interesting because you're a guy that played in the live version of the band, but you're releasing, you know, this early stuff that was kind of the blueprint for what you guys did. I wanted to ask. And you, you mentioned Jeremy Dean. So one of the other reasons where I was like, fuck, man, we can tie this into our podcast because Jeremy has done stuff for a bunch of labels. He's done stuff for Rev Bands. He's done stuff for Revelation. You also Jay worked Tree, with a, a lot on early Jade Tree. Actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jade Tree. And I mean, he's, his fingerprints are all over that. And then yeah. uh, Simon, uh, who goes by One Trick Pony, he, uh, you know, has done he does those really cool reimagined flyers and he's done shirts for uh you know and some rev bands too he did like better than a thousand stuff and how did you get doesn't jeremy kind of figure into the jaron story like early on right like wasn't he part of the crew that would go because he's from he's another philly guy oh totally he he lived in glenside i think or which is yet another small you know yeah north was it north north wales oh I, he lived in Orland, I think, at the time, Orland. which is Orland is Winmore's sister city. <laughs> they both feed into Springfield High School where my wife went. Uh, and that is the Springfield Montco, not Springfield Delco. I'm sure and the guys who are listening to this podcast episode right now in like Guadalajara care about that distinction. <laughs> but I'm glad we made yeah, it. Yeah, but there's one guy that went to Springfield Delco or Springfield Montco, and he is he is like, now they are speaking my language. 
Um, so Jeremy was, oh, I'm sorry, please continue. Oh, I was just going to say, oh yeah, Jeremy was right there with us at Cisco's. Jeremy is, is, uh, as is Mickey and as was Ben and everybody that's ever been sort of part of the, the crew hanging out. Um, Jeremy is a tremendously nice guy and he's an incredibly talented artist. Dude, his stuff stuff is like. And and I feel like you can, t- I, you know, I, I'm not an artist, um, but I feel like one of the hallmarks of a, of a great artist is when you can kind of tell their work before someone tells you it's theirs, even though he has, he has a wide range of style, like the stuff that he does for like, I don't know, like, like he made like this really cool orange nine millimeter long sleeve design that Rev mm-hmm. sold. And he also did the new John Mayer and like that doesn't, they don't look anything alike, but it's just, he's just an immense talent. I, we definitely want to get him on to talk to him about, you know, all his graphic stuff and, and yeah. Yeah. well, and have you seen, have you seen the misfits book that he did? Oh yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. I have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He sent me a copy of that. I was like, this is great. It's, it's incredible. Stanley. And like, so he, um, I remember, didn't he do some design for like the CDR of the Jarens or something? He, or no? I, I think Peter did a lot of that. Okay. Um, maybe all of it. But I mean, but Jeremy, like, I, you know, he was there. Everybody that was there, I consider, regardless of whether they ever played a note or did anything, like they were all kind of in the band. Yeah, it was, a, it was a community kind of, it yeah. really was. And like, we had our own little scene and there's a guy named Sam Panola, you know, who lives up in- Yeah, um, Sam, he, yeah. He, he recorded the Jarens and things like that. And that's, that's yeah. what the and like, thing is, man. It's this whole network of people. Yeah, and Scott Torgerson, uh, who lives in Sacramento now, who's the mean on the dag board, he was at those things. I consider him a member of the Jarens. Like, is he originally know, everybody from that was there was in the Jarens. Sorry, what'd you say? He's originally from our area, from Philly? No, he went to Penn Law School. And um, so he, yeah, he ended up coming with us to, I think he was at Cisco's. We definitely hung out with him a bunch of times. Might have been downtown, but I think it was at least one time was at Cisco's. So like, you know, so I was looking at the press kit for this. Um, Jeremy did the art direction and then One Trick Pony did the actual design. Is that... Yeah, so so essentially, it was it was so egalitarian, and everyone was so nice on this project that like like and, and I've never seen two designers work so collaboratively. So like we, I wanted to give credit to each other, but the work kind of bled through. Like Jeremy did the initial you know jacket design, and he just had so much going on, he couldn't kind of take it over the goal line, and and. and and Simon, one trick pony on Instagram, indicated he knew what Jeremy was going for because we all participated in these kind of creative sessions. So everyone's kind of on the same page. Yeah. So we were able to kind of, um, he was able to pick it up and take it and then apply it and take it even further into this, what I think is like one of the coolest part of the record is the actual um, That's- the lyrics. Sheet. That's what I was going to say is I got to see the mock-ups and the, um, you know, the, the PDF of everything. And I mean, this is one of those things, like you talked about the tactile experience and everything like 
even if you don't ever plan on putting this on the turntable, I think it's, it's definitely something you want to have on the shelf. Like it just looks super cool. The booklet that comes with it is nice. And, um, you know, it's just, I think it's just a really nice addition to a collection. I wanted to ask though, one of the things I noticed, cause as I was, as I played the test press, it's a double LP, but I looked and I just finally put the, you know, the digital files and I noticed it's 49 minutes. Was there, what, what made you decide to do it as a double LP instead of a single? Would it, was that still a little too over or for the sound quality? Well, well, couple things was the sound quality issue um we there was a goal that we were trying to hit and i can't remember what it was and um you know i came to the guys like we need to cut some songs you know and cut some and i quit my heart broke you know i mean i love every single one of these songs and um so we got the gun we're like you know what? let's just make it a double lp and i was like yeah why not i mean like my goal is to make this thing as special as possible what more excitement is there from a tactile experience than the surprise of the opening of the gatefold, you know, LP? It's magic, you know? And, and, and I was like, I just think gatefold fucking double LP are cool. So the opportunity to have a hand in putting another one of those out there on the world, I'm down. So that's what, you know, we ended up doing. Cool. Yeah. I mean, um, like I said, the whole, it looks great. So, yeah. Um, before I move on to ask a couple non Jaren's questions, just because as we we would do on on where it went podcast, um, what uh, what's the future hold for Uranium Rush? You know this record. By the time so we're going to time this so that when you're listening to this, you will be able to pre order. Um, so I'm talking to myself in the future. So like you like we will put this up whenever you know it goes up for pre-order. Now, where will they go to pre-order this through? Sure. You, you could go to the Jerrins.com, T-H-E-G-E-R-U-N-D-S, the Jerrins.com. You can go to Uranium Rush and that'll, you'll, you'll get it taken to the, to the store. You can listen to samples and things like cool. that. It'll also be up on a uh, big cartel. So you'll be able to access it. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, Bandcamp as well. So Bandcamp. Can... Nice. And, um, but what's the future? What's, uh, Oh, it's going to be like, there are bands that I really, really want to work with. Um, not live bands, you know, bands whose work that I just feel like is really important that needs to see the light of that. And that's my way. Like, I don't want to, you know, put out yet another thing. I'd rather take something that's special and, and give it life and vitality from by the, you know, the format and help of a rediscovery of her of some so there's two bands. Why don't you do the ultimate electric love muffin retrospective? I was I was actually just gonna say <laughs> I, I couldn't think of the name because when I one time uh I was almost 10 years ago when uh, Bob Mould did the uh 10 year or the 20 year copper blue anniversary, I mm-hmm. got to the show early and saw him across the street at Union Transfer and I punished him. I got and he was so sweet and he signed my record and John was there and I talked to him, John Worcester, who's also from, you know, Philly area. And I told him at the time I lived in Hatboro and he's like, Oh, do you know electric love muffin? And I was like, no. And he was like, Oh man, they're like, I guess they were from like the Hatboro Horsham area. 
And I always hear so much. I've heard that name. And that was like on the tip of my tongue. I was saying, oh, you should do something with them. You, you would really love them, I think. You That's know? what people have told me, too. Yeah. Yeah. But they were like maybe so much replacements. Yeah. That's what I've heard. And, and I, I heard it was like yeah. almost like people like I remembered seeing comments on YouTube like this was Nirvana before Nirvana and you know whatever. But maybe you should. Yeah, maybe you should do a retrospective of theirs. Well, that, that's I would welcome that opportunity because I love them so much. I, I saw them play so many times, you know, um, over the years. And it just it was just it was cool. They were a very important part, I think, of the Philadelphia kind of music scene. And, and you know, at least at the time I was going there, they would play all ages shows and play bar shows and things like that. But there was this energy about them. And they they were on your bill and kind of gave you some not just cred, you know, if I have a name on it, but like some musical, you know, okay, this will be an interesting show to be an accessible good show. Yeah, and they're actually still making great music. Um, uh, Rich Kaufman's in this band, Foxy Cotton, who put out a great record about a year ago. And Poppy, which is Brian Campbell and his wife and um, her brother, who was the drummer in Scram, um, the you know the Poppy record that came out like a year or so ago was also great. It's fantastic. It's, yeah, it's awesome that they're still making great music. Before I forget, I've got a funny John Worcester story. Did you ever go to uh, J.C. Dobbs, Greg? What 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 did it end up? Did it change the name to? Yeah, it it it, it did, and then I think it went back to then it was billed was as it? like the Fantastic Dobbs. It's sort of most famous because Nirvana played there, like pre. Never mind. Yeah, there's there's video on YouTube of that too. Yeah, but the Dobbs was tiny, and it had uh, promo photos of bands all over the place, like all over the walls, and like up on the stage, on the walls, out in the crowd. And I saw Super Chunk there, and they were playing. And after one song ended, Max said, "Hey, John, I didn't know you used to." being psychotic norman <laughs> there's a psychotic norman promo photo there was like, right on the wall right inside of the stage apparently they when they play when super chunk play philly they still stay uh they like stay at worcester's parents place oh really yeah, yeah they, they mentioned that um might have been the last time i saw him. mac might have said something but uh yeah john is he's super funny um and i love you know he's one of my favorite drummers ever like yeah. so it was cool to have him kind of hit me to electric love muffin but you mentioned mickey there you said there was bands do you have bands can you say the bands that uh... yeah i can't right now because okay. i work trying to compel them to do something you know and understood yeah but I, i'm gonna work my my wilds not my, my uh, masculine wilds upon them nice yeah, if he mentions them now, Greg, it's going to up their fee by like you know five hundred percent. So he's oh yeah, I mean we're apps. we're we're a top two hundred music podcast. So what can nice. I say? Yeah, you, if you, this is already going to you know this record will sell out within the first day, just just from just from us. You know, we're uh, Brian McTurnan from Battery and Be Well said we're we're tastemakers. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there we go. Awesome. So, well, speaking of Rev, of course, I have to still ask you a little bit because I know sure. now Hunter. I'm, 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 I'm one. I'm thinking you have almost nothing to add about Revelation Records. Like you were, you were too busy hanging out, drinking beer, smoking cigarettes to care about the uh, youth of today or Gorilla Biscuits Seven Inches. Uh, I guess. <laughs> 
I saw Youth of Today at least three times, Greg, maybe four. In fact, I was I was talking about Youth of Today earlier today and how like in my estimation, and I recognize I'm I am dead wrong about this, and Youth of Today went on to a long and storied career as as headliners. But I always think of Youth of Today as sort of the fog hat of punk rock because they would always I saw them like multiple times, but because they, they were always playing right below the headliner. Like the first time I saw them, they played with Youth Brigade um, at some like Penn fraternity house. But actually, Youth of Today showed up late because I think is is Porcel the guitar player? Or yeah. Is it Porcel? Yeah, or? Porcel. Yeah. Yeah. So he had an exam and I guess his exam ran late. So they arrived after Youth Brigade had already played. So they played, they played like really late. And then another time, but they were supposed to open. And then another time I saw them play right below the adolescence at the kennel club. And then I think I saw them play right below like agnostic front another time. So that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, like when I was going to shows, Youth of Today were never the headliner, but I, I fully recognized that they, you know, they went on and, and became. Um, and, and the connection with Foghat, was that Foghat was never the headliner? Yeah, Foghat, never the, it, what is it, always the bridesmaid? Always the bridesmaid, never the, never the bride, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Well, Youth of Today, um, I, what's, I, I actually remember Porcel telling us, a st- like, uh, Cause you mentioned them playing with the adolescents. Like I think Steve Soto was like really cool with them. Like he actually like was very supportive of youth mm-hmm. of today early on, maybe even had like the, like the album on wishing well or something. But I know that a lot of people, you know, youth of today were, which sometimes makes the best bands. They were super polarizing. Like people either loved them or they hated them because of, you know, they had, they were, you know, I don't want to say preachy, but like they had like a message and it's kind of thing where I think some people were like, nah, I'm not into this, whatever. Actually, I did see them headline one time at Radnor High School. My, uh, a friend of mine promoted the show there and they were the headliner and and they were, uh, you know, and so I, we actually like talked to them. They, they were super nice guys. What year was that? Do you remember? That would have been 87, probably June of 1987. Okay. I'm trying to think of who. I think Sammy might have been in it by then. Um, Yeah, they always seem to have different people in the band. And sometimes the people in the band would be like in the band for that show. Like, I think the adolescent show, the drummer they had borrowed from like Bold or something like that. And they had to to leave – early because they had promised his parents he'd be home by 11 he he, he like, told that story drew that's drew thomas from into another if you listen to the break down the walls episode uh-huh. uh he told that story where because he plays on break down the walls and then he like played some shows with them but like they were supposed to get to canada and he couldn't get into canada uh-huh. um or something like that but he definitely that's a hundred percent like he had to an exam and had to get home, um, you know, before school the next day or something. Cause he was, he's younger than like, he was like, I think he was like 14 or 15, which having a 15 year old, I just can't imagine being like, 
Hey, you're going to another state to play a show on drunk. Like what the hell? But the thing, the thing that all those people, cause Sammy was also a lot younger, but he said, you got to understand Ray and Porcel. They were, it was like basically like going with like your older brothers. And I think yeah, the parents, the, responsible, yeah. yeah, the parents knew like, well, they're not drinking. They're not doing this. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they're well, in pretty good hands. I, I mean, and that's, not like Chuck Biscuits was, I think, like you know, thirteen or fourteen when he was playing in in DOA at the beginning. He was like sixteen when he was in Black Flag. Yeah, he was um, young. Yeah, and like seventeen or eighteen in the Circle Jerks. So it's got Harley in the Stimulators. It was what twelve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's nuts. It's, it's, oh, can I? Can I? Uh, wait, is this part of the podcast where we tell our youth of today, like our connect? Like, do we see them in that? Because I saw them too. Oh, I, I mean, I'll talk about youth today all the time. So, oh, okay, share me, share me youth today's story. It was still the greatest show of my life. It was, um, it, it was youth of today was opening up for seven seconds at the Kennel Club in Philadelphia, and I was there too. It was just, <laughs> oh, it was just spectacular. I think it was the New Wind tour for seven seconds, and I it met, was. And I imagine youth of today maybe had an EP out there. there um, can't close yeah, my can't eyes. Close might have been eyes. Yeah. But, but dude, that was my first for you. I put on can't close my eyes. And I was a teenager and that first song, I don't just stack it up. Expectations. Yeah. That guitar. And then just the, it's just, I'm like, ah! and he's screaming at, I'm like, blew my high school mind. And, and I went deep into the, uh, the New York street edge thing. Not deep, but you you go deep into it for deep for me, but uh, you know. Yeah, I mean I that's because I, I was just like you know I think a lot of it's time, place, and circumstance. Totally. And for me, that stuff was already old, but I came into I guess what really would have been the third wave, but it was the second wave of that kind of stuff, like in the ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. Because yep. yep. remember in the early nineties we've talked about on here before stuff either got really weird. Like we had, we call it the college years on here. Like just bands that I think are great into another yeah. and sense yeah. field and um, ice burn and all that stuff. But it's like not worth yeah, it. It was super different, man. Yeah. And then, the, and then you had the metal stuff. Like you had earth crisis, you know, the heavier stuff. So then of course the reaction to that is by the mid late nineties, everyone wanted to be like youth of today and like, you know, gorilla biscuits or whatever. So that was like where, that was like where I came in, you know, heavy was like all the stuff on revelation was yeah. like the Bible. Like it was like discord early stuff. Yeah. SST early stuff revelation. And that was like, you know, that was my blueprint for everything. But do you have a favorite rev release Mickey? Yeah, I think for me, it, it, sorry to keep on this track. If you couldn't figure it out, it was going to be Youth of Today release, and it was um, Break Down the Walls for me. It, it, and again, I'm sorry if I keep beating this dead horse because everyone is just probably like sick of this. So, the, the, but, but I remember the Youth of Today 7-inch, worst photos in the world. I have no idea like what they kind of look like. It was like the front cover. It's like it looks like a zero. The only worst front cover is probably DRI's dealing with it, where it's like, it's not the back of said, but No, it, no, dealing with it's good. It's the Dirty Rotten LP where it's like. That's like, it, the Dirty Rotten LP. Oh, someone's head with oh, Patrick's hair. Yeah, he's like a little, yeah. 
Um, but anyway, to get and then you get that youth of today. Sure, whoever I forget the name of Pappas or whatever took that front cover. I think it was, and it was just like just the energy just blew out. You know, yeah. seeing that picture and the music blew it. It, it. The two synced up. It was almost like you're listening to it. You can imagine that photo kind of coming to life. But and then the final thing. So not to not to be like a. Uh, that guy too, but like the wishing well, the original. Well, that's wishing, what I had, yeah. Yeah, the wishing well version where it's the blue with the red and the picture. It was really great graphic design. It was simplistic. It was like in your face, but not with like you know the, something. It was, there was a subtlety to it. It was kind, yeah. of a, kind of a little more sophisticated than something. And I think for a lot of people, like myself too, who like love punk, it was kind of cool to see people that looked like me. Well, I'm not, I'm not ripped like right or self, but to see people that just had like regular short hair, sneakers, you know, shorts, t-shirt, like didn't, you know, I never had like piercings all over. I don't even, I still don't have any tattoos. Or, you know? or like, if you take a look at like some of the wars, I'm great band, things like that. But the guys who were like on that stage and they got, they're not me. <laughs> exactly. Who beat my ass. But if you Gorilla Biscuits and Youth of Today. Like, if you look at their covers, it's like a really kind of, or these lives are really eclectic kind of groups, you know, or, you know. Nicky, yeah. were you at the Warzone show at Club Pizzazz? No, I didn't even know they had a Warzone show yeah. at Club Pizzazz. All I remember is, after each song, I swear, Ray B's removed like a shirt but it started, he had a jacket and he took his jacket off. Then he took off like a hoodie. And then I swear the man, they probably paid, played 27 songs on the set. He removed a shirt after each song. There were more shirts underneath. I've never seen anything like it. It was like Jesus with the loaves and the fishes, except Ray B's <laughs> with the shirts. If anyone listening has one of those shirts, Instagram. That show. I can't believe that that occurred. That must have been amazing so it was amazing when i think of some of the stuff that i saw and like you know i i particularly now it all seems like a lifetime ago and i i was obsessed with discord like all things discord but you know it's philly you'd go see whatever was playing and a lot of times you'd see bands because they're opening for somebody else but like Mickey, were you at the the uniform choice staring into the sun show i was i have pictures of that if you ever want to see that I do. Okay, I'll send you those. Yeah, please. Yeah, it was amazing. They came out like decked out all in all black, black and they had longish long hair. hair. They were the and, nicest guys though. We interviewed them for our seat. So nice. Yeah, my friend yelled out like um, for them to play one of the spoken word pieces from the oh. first album. And they, the one guy actually laughed, which I, I Oh, really? They didn't send you about Yeah. Did um, uh, Uniform Choice... Uh, I forget what I was going to. Oh, I know. Speaking of uniform choice, wishing well, um, Purcell told a great, and this ties it all together with discord, told a great story about, you know, break down the walls first on wishing well. And um, they go to like, basically like the wishing well guys would like be at almost every show in that area of California, I guess, Orange County. And they would like set up, like they were like, one of the first uh, 
like to really do the merch thing. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so oh, even I, if, I heard your podcast episode. On yeah, that. well, Hunt, I figured Hunter probably didn't hear it, so I'll, I'll share. And please, then anybody, please. It's a anybody. So, you know, they would set up merch and sell like wishing well shirts and unity and uniform choice, whatever. And I guess at this show, Purcell was there because they were all living in California, like just staying with different people. And like, I think they were staying with like Dan O uh, from No For An Answer or I, I, and other just people in, in, you know, they were basically yeah, house surfing. Yeah. yeah. And when the actual wishing well LPs came out, they got delivered and they, they Porcel opens the box at like the, he's talking to Brian Baker and I guess Pat Longry or whoever brings over the box. Here's the records. So Purcell opens it. So the first person to actually hold the record was Brian Baker. Huh. Like he like gave him a record and Brian was like, this is a great looking record. Like even Brian had to concede like this looks sick. Like, yeah. um, cause like you said, that cover, I mean, that's burned in my brain for forever. And I've seen so many bands and it's awesome replicating that, like almost the exact yeah. same like angle and things like that. And uh, it, it's it's powerful stuff, man. It, it really mm-hmm. is, you know, just simple imagery and just clean lettering, and it just really can resonate for sure. Yeah, and we talked to we talked to Dave Bet, um, who designed like the Gorilla Biscuits LP and the way it is comp, and he actually did the Youth of Today break down the walls, the Rev version. Like he, you know, doctored it up a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was cool. So Hunter, do you have any Rev releases that you enjoy? I'm not sure. I, I had Break Down the Walls, but I think I had the Wishing Well version. I, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, um, but I don't think I own any Revelation um, records. Records. Gorilla, um, did you like Gorilla Biscuits start today? I mean, that seems to be the one where like... I don't think I've ever heard Gorilla Biscuits, um, but... The, the the wasn't Siv the guy in Gorilla Biscuits yeah. that did the the can't wait one minute more yeah song? I remember that from the commercials and a guy that I used to work with when I was working at the DA's office in Philly was sort of more of a '90s hardcore guy and um, I was like who does that song the can't wait one minute more and uh, he was like oh it's Siv so I loved that song uh, and we used to sing it in the halls of the the Philly DA's office <laughs> well I would say. Check out, check out Gorilla Biscuits start today. Okay. Like I, I'm always fat, you know, but I always say like, there's a ton of music out there. And Mm. to me, I'm always like, it's never too late. There's some things where it's just like, if you didn't like experience it live, it's kind of like, I'm not going to say But like, I feel like Gorilla Biscuits is something where like, anybody can hear the start today record. And it doesn't matter, um, you know, if you've never seen them back in the day or haven't seen them reunited. Like, it's basically like Dag Nasty and Seven Seconds, like in a blender, but with its own style. Like, it's still like Walter, you know, who did Quicksand and everything. He wrote the music. I'm not sure I've ever heard Quicksand, but oh man, about them. Jesus Christ. We're gonna this. We're gonna get like a one star rating on this episode. What I what I will say, Greg. Greg, do you have uh, Sirius XM? No. 
it, it's changed my life for the better. I mostly listen to Underground Garage and The Bridge, which are those maudlin 70s soft rock hits that uh, were the soundtrack to my youth. Yeah. Um, as part of their promo for that um, new deluxe Beach Boys thing that's got like surf feel, up. Oh, the Feel it. Flows. Yeah. yeah, Feel Flows. They've got a Beach Boys channel that's like nothing but Beach Boys like all day long. It is so good. I listen to it until my my wife and children start begging for mercy and are like, you got to change the channel. <laughs> Do they play like deep cuts, obviously, and stuff? Oh, like- yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, it repeats a little too much for my taste, but they've got, I mean, you know, they'll play like Darlin' and they'll do, um, you know, a lot of stuff off of uh, off of Surf's Up, obviously. And, um, you know, I've decided as much as I like the artistry of Pet Sounds and Smile, I mean, frankly, the early stuff is what I love the best. Yeah. Really? About Cars and Girls. Man, I... I actually like this. I, I guess this is probably one of the first times we've met the Beach Boys have been mentioned on <laughs> Where It Went podcast. But like, I like, I think this, some of the stuff after Pet Sounds is really good. Like the mm-hmm. Sunflower album. Um, and then Love You is like so freaking weird. Mm-hmm. And almost really, there's elements of Love You to tie back to the Jerrens. That maybe even creeping into some of the rudimentary, like elect synthesizer sounds and just like real dry, you know what I'm saying? And like some weird. Hey, that's me on the rudimentary side. I don't mean it like, I mean, it was Brian Wilson playing it. Like, so you're as good as Brian Wilson. Thank you, Greg. I'm putting you in the same league as Brian Wilson. I believe you are alone in putting me in that league. But you know, there's a song on Love You that's like, you don't know if they're singing about a baby or like a young girl and it's really weird. Like that record's just fucking weird as hell. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. I forget what it's, I want to pick you up that song. If you have never listened to it, go on YouTube. I want to pick you up. Beach boys love you. Yeah. I, I can't think of that one off the top of my head. I'll check it out. Have you read uh, the nearest faraway place by Timothy white? Who's the guy that wrote the catch a fire, the Bob Marley bio that's no. like a billion copies. The nearest faraway place might be the greatest book about music I've ever read because it's about like post-war California um, and the rise of the automobile. It tackles the history of surfing it talks about, you know, the Beach Boys, obviously. It, the scope of that book is just incredible. And it's so interesting. You see so much insight into the Beach Boys. Um, it's, I can't recommend it highly enough. And I think you can probably buy it for, um, you know, a dollar. Uh, because I don't think it was, it certainly wasn't as successful as Catch a Fire. But it, I can't recommend it highly enough. I'll have to search that out. I, I I read a lot of, there was a period of time where I read a lot of books about Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. And, um, you know, that like said that the stuff, the stuff that's not necessarily the hits, mm-hmm. there's some great deep cuts for sure. Um, you know, like a lot of, like a lot of stuff. There's just like, but what I was saying with Gorilla Biscuits is like, I've, I've, I've resigned myself. Like sometimes I feel like, Oh, I got into this too late. 
Uh-huh. And then I'm like, no, like every few years I'll get into a band that I probably should have been into 20 years ago and I'm not. And sometimes they have a vast catalog. I mean, it happened with the Beach Boys for me when I was in my early 20s. Like, I mean, I knew that everybody knows the Beach Like you, unless you, you know, grew up where there was no radio or anything, like you've heard the Beach Boys, right? Mm-hmm. But like, I didn't really, like I went hard into them like in the early 2000s, like where it was like every week I had to get, you know, a different record. And that's still, it still happens with me. Like I did it. I've talked before, like about Sloan, like I had this stuff, I knew it. And then like, now I've just been buying whatever I can. Yeah. And you totally, they played for free at like mainline day or something like that. Sloan? yeah, like yeah, I was saying, ago. there's like well, they they've years. they've probably played here even since I've known about the band for like the last ten years. They've probably played ten times and I didn't go. And now I'm like Jones and like, oh my god, I'm gonna go. And if they play close enough, I'm gonna go to more than one show. But what I'm saying is that like it's almost never too late. So who knows? You may put on start today and just be like, this is awesome. Okay. Quicksand. Also, I would say check out Slip. Um. That's one of my favorite records. I even know our, our friend Sal. Like, I think even Sal is into that record. Um, I'll, I'll totally check it out. And now I'm straight edge. So maybe now I'll appreciate it in a way that I wouldn't have when I was, when I was a... Uh, What's cool with Start Today, too, is it's not... Start Today isn't, like... There's mentions of, like, straight edge, sort of. Like, not by name. Like, the words straight edge are not, you know, sung in the record at all. But it's... Very universal lyrics, I think. Um, Walter wrote all the lyrics. Uh-huh. He wrote the music and lyrics, like because there's actually a a bootleg where he did guide vocals, where he actually sang like the whole record. You know, it was called Walter Sings the Hits, and um, <laughs> you know, because basically he just like went through like a pass through, like to show Siv like this is how you you should do it, and then you know Siv is a great vocalist for the style too. Like, so he added his own, you know, spin to it, even though he didn't necessarily write the lyrics, sure. but um, yeah, it's a, it's, there's like a reason. I mean, it, it's definitely the best selling rev record. It's gotta be, we asked Jordan, he didn't have exact, but he said, it's probably either, you know, start today or the Texas is the reason record, or maybe the um, inside out. Seven inch. Hmm. Yeah, Texas Texas is an amazing band. That that record is just phenomenal. Um, yeah, what, what does that sound like? You, I'm bad at this. I'm, I'm really bad at it. You oh, got to get good at it, though, man. You're gonna. I know. I got to work this now. Yeah. They were like they, they were like that wave of like um, what Sunny Day Real Estate. Like when they when Sunny Day Real Estate kind of really was like the hype thing. They, they spawned a lot of bands that didn't really sound like that, but that was like the best way to describe them where it's like they came from hardcore, but they're not like hard. They have melody, but it's not melody like, you know, Green Day or something. It's like its own thing, post-hardcore or whatever. Hmm. Um, then they're from New York. Uh, but yeah, that record's really good. Sense Field. Um, Rev did a lot of cool stuff into another. Have you ever listened to into another Hunter? No, you might. That's like, 
Hey, Mickey, you like Into Another, right? I do. I like Into Another a lot. Really kind of trippy. As Drew, like, there's one record where they yeah, Drew, like, Drew from you know yeah. Gold is the drama. Is actually, it. but they they've got like long hair and they've got necklaces. They kind of look hippie now. And and I forget which record that was. Um, but the music is just really kind of groovy and and, and takes directions and areas that you would not expect with a much. singer that has like given their pedigree. Richie from uh, Underdog was the, yeah. the guy. Yeah. It just just what great about Super Touch? Love Super Touch, one of my favorite Rev releases. Okay. And here, here's a little fact. I asked uh, Ian and I were trying to, at some point where like, we're talking. At the time, you know, it was like when Revolution first started, I asked him, you know, which of these bands is like, uh, you know, New York sound, it sounds like really good. I think he said that Super Touch was the one band he thought like kind of popped above them and, and had something. Ian Mackay said this. Yeah. A certain yeah. je ne sais quoi, you know, um, at the time. This was, again, late, this was like early 90s. He's, he's pretty much kept to that line of thinking. At least I know I read in the, there was a book Rev did in the, 90s called all ages uh it was like just it was it was about straight edge but it was just interviews with a bunch of people from you know that wave and ian was interviewed and said like super touch searching for the light he definitely thought yeah that book uh he thought that was like that was kind of the song that stuck out um but yeah he like into another richie can just he can sing and he can hit notes and it's like a mix of like Later, Bad Brains, but like Black Sabbath and Judas Priest, like it's it's they're great. I and, mean, uh, that may be your entry point into um, Rev. You know, C- consider both. I think that, that's like a little ignore bit of, us. Uh, Listen can, to can you, guys, can you guys text me the list of things that you think I might like? And, Do you uh, have Spotify? Um, uh, no, but I have Amazon streaming, so I can listen to pretty much everything. We should open up a community list for all of the, the speak, all of your listeners who can contribute which song yeah. should be. Yeah, let's all help. Right. That's all what right. we're going to do. Let's do I've this. Got a, yeah, go. Okay, so I've got a, I, for all you out there that have the patience to listen to this, first off, I apologize for my lack of familiarity with the Revelation catalog. Uh, and I apologize for making Greg talk about the Beach Boys for ten minutes. <laughs> that out. We're going to challenge out there for you. Speed. Oh, if okay. um, I, I have, I have written a book about Roger Rogerson from the Circle Jerks titled "The Prodigal Rogerson." And whoever sends me the recommendation of the Revelation record that I enjoy the most. Uh, I will gladly, uh, if you send me your address, if you are interested, I will gladly send you an autographed copy of the Prodigal Rogerson uh, as a um, a demonstration of my sincere thanks. And Mickey, can deal. we send them a free copy of the Jaren's double LP too? There you go. There you go. Yeah, you can you can deduct it from my royalties. <laughs> yeah. There we go. So this will be fun. So people, Hunter. So I'll tell you what I know about Hunter. Like I said, he's he's a uh, he's not an old guy. He just uh, like you said, you were more into that Discord scene. You saw obviously. I mean, you guys listened to the episode. He saw all these bands, but like let's let's try to give him a little um, little taste of Rev. Recommend some some releases, and um, when we. When we post this episode up, leave them in the comments and I will forward it to, uh, to Hunter. I wanted to mention your book, 
you already did it for me. You made my job a lot easier. <laughs> so check out Hunter's book. Uh, we've talked about the circle jerks before on here. Cause you know, trust records, our friends did that amazing reissue of, uh, the group sex album. Uh, and like I said, go pre-order this Jaren's record support, you know, an up and coming label support, you know, the people that worked on it, like behind the scenes, uh, you know, the artists, one trick pony, Jeremy Dean, um, I don't know, just, you know what to do. And, and before I forget, I should give a special shout out. There are two very special guest musicians on the Jaren's record. The first is Yanni Papadopoulos from Stinking Lizabetta, who is the Yanni in the song Wig Out at Denko's Someone Let Yanni Drive. Uh, someone also let Yanni play lead guitar on the song Jill, and the results are just tremendous. The dude is, the dude is a major shredder. And the other guy is Matt Devine from Permanent Green Light, which was uh, Michael, uh, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of his last name, but Michael Curcio from The Three O'Clock, who I first discovered when I saw them open for REM at the Tower Theater like ages ago. But uh, after The Three O'Clock, Michael Curcio was in a band, Permanent Green Light, with Matt Devine. Matt Devine plays on the song Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles. We sent him like my poorly played guitar fragments um, with Peter singing over top and Matt Devine put bass on. He put a guitar lead that is maybe the greatest thing I've ever heard. Um, so, you know, Matt Devine and Yanni Papadopoulos, to the extent that there is is actual musicianship being demonstrated on the record, it is those guys. It's funny because when uh, Gil, was it Jill? You said Jill, Jill yeah. When, when Jill came on, I was like, who is playing this solo? I was like, is that Hunter? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm like, no, it's, it's Yanni, um, which I've, you know, being from Philly, I saw Stinking Lizavetta a bunch and they were like, um, always really neat to watch. They melt your face. Yeah, yeah. That, that <laughs> musicianship. So, well, guys, thank you so much. Thank you so um, much, Greg, and thanks again for such a great podcast, and, and we, we love listening to it. And thank you. So, guys, remember, Uranium Rush Records, www.thegerins.com will lead you to where to pre-order, and uh, just do it. Comment once we post this. Send your recommendations to Hunter. You can get a free book and a Jaren's record, and uh, you're going to love it. We promise. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Take care, guys. Yeah.